Welcome back to the On the Brink podcast. Thanks for bearing with me when I took a week off. It was very necessary, but I'm back and I have a very special guest with me today. I actually have another cousin on to join me. And this time my cousin is Catherine and she is currently living in Alabama. And she, I'm just so excited that she agreed to join me for this special Enneagram episode. So if you're not sure what the Enneagram is, you're going to find out today. And me and her are both just Enneagram enthusiasts, basically. We just are are interested in it as like a fun hobby or like side thing. It's not anything that we are experts on. So just to um, let you know as like a little disclaimer that we are not experts, but um, both of us are interested in it. And I think this is going to be a very fun episode. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited to be talking about the Enneagram because it's such a fun tool and I'm so excited to tell everyone about it. Yeah, for sure. So do you want to give my listeners a little bit of background on you? Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, I'm living down in Alabama right now. Um, I'm in nursing school. I'm graduating this fall. So I'm really excited to be starting my nursing career. And then outside of that, um, I just love to run, read, write, um, spend time with my family and my dogs. So yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Awesome. So we're going to jump in here and talk um, a little bit about the background of the Enneagram for people who may not know anything about it. So fun fact, I first heard of the Enneagram when I was in high school in my religion class, which is kind of strange because you're probably wondering, like, why are you learning about a personality assessment in religion class? But it actually ties, the Enneagram ties a lot to philosophy, psychology, and spirituality. So it actually does tie into religion. And I, that was one of my favorite units in high school actually was learning about the Enneagram. And so I'm really excited because I, you know, found the interest in the Enneagram back in high school when we first studied it. And then I kind of forgot about it for a long time. And then a few years ago, I came upon it again somehow. And I was doing some research on it. And I've read a bunch of books on it. And I've taken all the online assessments. And again, I'm not an expert by no means. I am you know, not, I just do this for fun, but I think it's really, really interesting. And I bring it up on the podcast because I think for people in their twenties, it can be a really interesting tool to really discover stuff about yourself and especially about other people. So the Enneagram in its most basic form is a personality assessment, uh, that originated back with this man named Oscar Icazo. Okay, I'm probably saying it wrong. But uh, anyway, he sorted the nine personality types. So there are nine types. And then in the 1970s, someone else whose name I probably cannot pronounce, Claudio Naranjo or Naranjo, I, I don't know, um, synthesized the Enneagram with modern philosophy. And he came up with this ego fixation and different coping mechanisms for people. And today, it's an understanding for yourself that includes what we know about the mind and what we sense about the spiritual realm. So 
basically the Enneagram is a map for how to become the most whole version of yourself. And it kind of helps you figure out where you are now, where you might want to be, and then like what you might have been like, you know, in the past. And it can really, really help you gain a sense for who you are. And again, who other people are too. So the Enneagram is really at its core about motivations, fears, and basic desires. I want to talk about the nine different types. And basically, it's a diagram. And because this is a podcast, I cannot show you the diagram, really. Um, But I'm probably going to post it along with this episode so that you can see because it's a very interesting diagram. Basically, it's a circle with a triangle inside. And then there's some other like points that go off of that. And so within the circle are the nine different types. And then there are three like subtypes or uh, centers is what they're called. And so we're going to, me and Catherine are going to go through the nine different types. And I thought it would be fun to give you the names of each one. And then to also tell you a celebrity who follows under that type, which is super fun. So number one, oh, and we're going to tell you what types we are and go through that. And then if you find this really interesting and you want to learn more, we're also going to give you the tools and information to find more. So number one is the perfectionist slash reformer. And I have this fun book called The Millenniagram, and it basically puts the Enneagram into modern day terms, because obviously these terms are from, you know, a long time ago. And so this woman, Hannah, who wrote the book, The Millenniagram, she put all the different numbers into fun names. Number one, according to her, is also the machine. And that is also my number. So fun fact. So, Catherine, who's the celebrity with this one? Yes, so aside from Emily, we also have Nelson Mandela and Hermione Granger for the Harry Potter fans out there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And you will hear a lot about ones because we're going to go through it. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Number two is the helper slash giver. And in Millenniagram terms, it's the parent. Yeah, so some examples from that you might recognize are Mother Teresa, Mr. Rogers, or Anna from Frozen. Totally, yeah. Because when you, I mean, even if you know nothing about the Enneagram and you just hear the name, like it makes a lot of sense. Like the helper would be Mr. Rogers. Like (laughs) that makes sense. So cool. Okay, number three is the achiever slash performer. And in Millenniagram terms, the winner. Yeah, so those some examples of those guys would be Lightning McQueen from Cars, um, Muhammad Ali, and Elvis. Wow, Elvis. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The winner. The yeah, he, he yes. certainly was successful. Awesome. Uh, number four is the romantic slash individualist, and in millenniagram terms, the tortured artist. <laughs> Which is funny you say that because the example I have is Vincent Van Gogh um, and then Phoebe Buffay from Friends. Oh my gosh. Yes, Vincent Van Gogh for sure. Tortured artist. Absolutely. Um, Okay, number five is the investigator slash observer or in millenniagram terms, the detective. Yes, and we've got Rory Gilmore from Gilmore Girls and Albert Einstein. Oh my gosh. Yes, makes sense. Uh, number six is the loyalist slash questioner and in millennium terms, the Oracle. And this is your type, Catherine. 
guys, this is my type, along with Sebastian from The Little Mermaid <laughs> um, and Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Right there. Number seven is the enthusiast slash adventurer, and in millenniagram terms, the partier. Or the party. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote the party. I gotta look that up, but I think it's the partier. Be the life of the party. Right. Sense. Right. Because <laughs> when you hear it, so some examples of these are um, Peter Pan, Robin Williams, and Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that for sure. The adventurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight is the challenger slash the boss, and according to the millenniagram, the dragon. <laughs> and you might recognize this in Olivia Pope, Winston Churchill, um, and Joe March from Little Women. Yeah, yeah. When you think of like the boss, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, nine is the peacemaker slash mediator or the wallflower, according to the millenniagram. And for number nine, we have Abraham Lincoln, Pam Beasley from The Office, and Winnie the Pooh. Yes. Okay. So you can kind of see like the names totally match up with the personality types. Um, and the ones that you mentioned, like these people, they're all like very much, they fit that mold, right? And so we're going to talk a lot about how the millenniagram, not the millenniagram, we're going to talk a lot about how the Enneagram uh, is not always so black and white. And it's not always like, okay, you know that you're this type because you're this way. It is actually very much more of a spectrum. And so we're definitely going to dive into that as we move along here. But I think for all the examples that you chose, they're so spot on because they do seem to really fit the mold. And some people do. Some people do really like characterize as one type very well. But I think for a lot of people it's actually much trickier to type yourself. And again, I'm going to talk about how um, it's so easy to not know what your type is. And that's why some of these online tests might not be um, your best bet. But we will get to that a little bit later. So um, I want to share a little bit about the three different triads. And that is where the numbers fall. So again, I explain that it's a circle with all the numbers around it. And so you have um, obviously nine types divided by three. So you have three types in each triad. And so each triad is ruled by a different, um, different part of you, I guess. I don't know the best way to put it, but um, there are three types. So there's the intuitive, there's the feeling, and there's the thinking. So basically, the intuitive triad is ruled by the gut. And then the feeling triad is ruled by the heart. And the thinking triad is ruled by the brain. So you have types 8, 9, and 1 in the intuitive. You have 2, 3, and 4 in the feeling. And then you have 5, 6, and 7 in the thinking. So uh, I said I was a one already, so I fall into the intuitive triad, and Catherine shared that she's a six, and that falls into the thinking triad. So again, we're going to go into this um, in a moment, but it's so interesting because we are ruled by, you know, whatever we are. So I am definitely ruled by my gut, and Catherine would be ruled more by her brain. And so when you're trying to understand somebody and where they're coming from, if you understand what Enneagram type they are, then you can maybe understand a little more where they're coming from. And we will probably give some examples of this soon. 
go look at the diagram because I think it'll make a lot more sense if you can see the diagram and you can see where all the different numbers fall. Um, but I thought it would be fun to kind of go through my type and just share like the in-depth information about it and then go through Catherine's type and we can talk a little bit about like how my type and her type, you know, may or may not get along and why that is and, you know, the similarities or differences, things like that. Uh, first of all, I am a one, as we said. So that is the perfectionist. And I think if you guys know me, you would probably guess that I'm a one. I don't know. Catherine, what do you think? Do you think I'm, I come off like a one? Yeah, I think you have a lot of qualities that seem pretty textbook one. But like what you were saying earlier, there's such a spectrum within each number. Um, and every person expresses the number differently. So, but I definitely would guess you as a one. Um, and you can kind of go into the description of one more, but a lot of the traits that you have, I've heard one described as a teacher, a leader, an organized, and I feel like knowing you, that falls into that a lot. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the funny thing is that I actually thought that I was a six for the longest time. Like when I first was taking these tests back in high school, I was really tied. So sometimes when you take a test, it'll say like, you could be this number, you could be this number. And it, you know, you tally up like a certain amount of, you know, points or whatever. And then it says you are this type. But again, you have to be like brutally honest when you're taking these tests. I mean, you can't like say, oh, I wish I were this way. It's like, no, like you have to take the test and be really honest with yourself. So if you're taking it and you're in high school and you're still like growing as a person, you might not be as truthful maybe with it or like there can be some errors. But uh, generally, I think I thought I was a six because my numbers were tied between a six and a one. And I was reading the information for each one. And I really resonated with the information that I was getting about sixes. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm a six. Well, I've been reading in the last couple of years and I discovered that ones, so basically there's a spectrum, right? There's like healthy numbers and then unhealthy numbers. And the Enneagram is really complicated. So bear with me here. Um, there's a lot of information and there's a lot uh, to digest here, but Basically, it's all on a spectrum. And so you can be a very healthy one. You could be a very unhealthy one. That goes for any number. And I think I was on the unhealthy spectrum, like when I was younger, especially. And I wasn't really like tapping into my full potential. And I mean, we can all grow and change over time. But I think, um, you know, years ago, I was in a different spot. And so Actually, if you are an unhealthy one, you can come off like a six. And so it's very interesting to read about these sorts of things. And again, you have to really dig deep into your specific type. And it might take a little bit to discover what your actual type is. But once you really narrow it down, at least between one or two, then you can go get one of these books that we're going to recommend and you can read and really discover like which one you are. And then you can see where you fall on the spectrum, too. Yeah, so. absolutely. I will say, when it comes to finding your type, it definitely takes being very, very honest with yourself. Because sometimes the Enneagram reveals, like, some hard truths about yourself. It's not always, it's not always pretty. Um, and so just to be able to really self-reflect, I think um, if you really, really want to get into it, it would take time to learn about every type and really think about yourself 
throughout your life and in different situations to really narrow down in on what type you think you might be. Yeah, exactly. It's not always um, like a really quick, oh, I'm this type, take your five minute test. It takes time. So um, yeah, be patient and try different tests and different, read different books and see what resonates with you. Um, So going back to my type, I digressed a little bit. I apologize. So uh, every type has a very specific passion that they are associated with. So ones associate with anger, which is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, most of these are not like great things. So um, it's interesting, though, because when you read about ones, you can discover that they don't always express their anger they kind of let it bubble under the surface. And so it becomes more of like a suppressed emotion. So if you met a one and you know, you're reading, you're trying to type, maybe you're trying to type your friend or whatever, and you're trying to guess what type they are. And you know, you're looking at like the passions and you're saying, okay, well, you know, I don't see anger. Well, that doesn't mean anything because ones actually really suppress their anger until they let it bubble over. And then it could become like really bad. And I definitely feel that. So Uh, I don't consider myself like an angry person a lot of the time, but I think when something is frustrating, like I do tend to like push it down and suppress it and then I get even more stressed. And then if something really big happens, then I'll be like super angry. But generally, you know, the passions don't mean that you are outwardly showing it. It could be a suppressed kind of thing, like one's. Um, then I was reading about the different fears. So the biggest fear of one, which is so funny because it's so true is being bad or being wrong or messing something up. And there's this like really big need for being correct. And I think that is something that I definitely have struggled with over time. And that's something again on the spectrum, like you could be a really healthy one and you could let your need for being correct kind of um, motivate you to be the best version of yourself. And you can still keep in mind that like, it's okay to not be perfect hundred percent of the time, but you could also let that need for being correct lead you to a really unhealthy place. So it's so interesting. Um, another thing about ones is that they tend to want to fix other people. So they have a very high moral code. They usually are, you know, have really high standards for themselves, which usually translates into having high standards for other people too. So I wonder, I haven't read a lot about like dating and the Enneagram, but I wonder if that is like part of why I'm so picky um, in dating. I don't know. What do you think, Catherine? interesting thought now that you say that because I hadn't thought about that before but that makes a lot of sense and if you have such high standards for yourself the way that translates especially when you're looking for a partner I feel like that might be a situation when you're even more I mean it's it's more serious than just just a buddy you know what I mean yeah yeah I I'm just like thinking about this right now honestly as we're like chatting and the whole like wanting to fix other people. I think that's so interesting because on one hand you could pick someone to date that you feel like could be fixed. Yeah. yeah. That could be a thing. Never a good path. (laughs) Oh, that could be bad. But I think also it could just translate into being really picky and finding someone who also matches in the same, like, you know, high standards and, and ideals and morals and all that. So Interesting, interesting thought I just had. But uh, 
Moving on to a different aspect of the Enneagram, and that is the different wings. So basically, if you look, again, it's easier to see if you have the diagram in front of you, but there's either if you, you know, add one or subtract one from your number, but, you know, one through nine. So if you are a one, you either go to a two or you go to a nine. So you have um, one wing nine or one wing two. And so everybody has a wing. I don't love the wing concept because (laughs) I don't really feel like I fall into one or the other necessarily, which is kind of weird, but I just don't really resonate with, with either one because one wing nine basically is like abstract thinkers, dreamers, more of the big picture. And I'm not really that way. I mean, I'm, I'm big picture to an extent, but like, I don't know, not a lot. And then one wing two is the reformers, the do-gooders, and they're the people who are a little more engaged in the world. They're like, okay, we're going to go get it. And I feel like maybe that's more of me, but I don't have this like strong urge to go like save the world or anything. So I don't know. Maybe it could be on a smaller scale. I'm not sure. But I think the wings are interesting. I don't know. What do you think about the wings, Catherine? Yeah, I was, was going to say, I actually really resonate with you when you said that because I don't really identify with a wing too strongly either. And so I've always been curious. I've never found the answer to this question, but if it's possible to be just straight, you know, a straight one for you, like not have too much of a wing. Um, because I've never, I, for six, my number neighbors are a seven and a five, and I really don't identify with either of those numbers too much, but it's funny because I'll find numbers maybe on the, you know, another part of the circle, like a two, for example, that I feel like I relate to a lot, but that can't technically be my wing because it's not in my triad. (laughs) So it's interesting the way that happens. And then with some people, I feel like I can see their wings so clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't really know. I haven't done enough research on it to know I know that like I've read stuff that says everyone does have a wing but maybe it's not like a huge part of you so it could just be like a a tiny little thing I feel like I could be either way like I don't know like I'm a little bit of big picture like I like to plan for the future and like kind of a at more abstract way I guess but I also like to be engaged in the world but not to like a huge extent so I don't know how that works. I don't really say that I'm a wing. I just say, okay, I'm a one. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> Calling the Enneagram experts for that one. Yeah, for sure. We'll leave that to someone else. <laughs> um, and then there's also more to the Enneagram. There's different instinctual variants. And we are not going to go into that because, honestly, we could go on a whole separate episode about that. Um, but there's like three different variants of your type and it's, it's so complicated. Honestly, again, we're going to leave that to some other expert to do that. But um, uh, one thing I do find interesting about the Enneagram is what I've been saying is a spectrum. And so there's a more specific term that you use for that. And so it's um, integration and disintegration. And so basically you go to a certain number in your integration and you go to a different number in your disintegration. And again, it goes with this diagram. So your number goes to two different numbers on the diagram. Triangle within the circle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you have to kind of see it. But your number only goes to two places. And that is your like healthier, unhealthy level. Ones tend to integrate or always integrate to seven 
and they disintegrate to four. Um, when they integrate to a seven, basically ones can become more lighthearted, they can enjoy adventure, and they are more likely to express their gut emotion instead of suppress it. So I think that's interesting. And I think um, I would consider myself pretty healthy one at this point in time where I've been able to like let go of a lot of stuff and just like have more fun. And so I can definitely see that how I move to a seven. And then when you disintegrate, you go to a four. And that is when you might internalize the outsider complex and say, nobody gets my feelings. Nobody understands me. Uh, that would be your excuse. And then you could be in like the self-pity spiral. And that's not to say that like sevens are just fun and fours are in a spiral. Like this is, a again, a spectrum. And this is just like where you would go if you were going to become more unhealthy. Right. I would say another term that I've heard for disintegrate and integrate that kind of helped me understand it was um, disintegrate is where you go in stress and integrate is where you go in times of growth. So it's just another way of putting it that kind of shows what, what you mean by that. And you almost go towards, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you go towards when you integrate or you're in growth, you're going towards the best qualities of that number. And then when you're in stress, you're going towards the worst qualities in quotes. I mean, everything is a spectrum like we've been saying, but, um, that's just another way to put it. Yeah, no, that's so true. Yeah. So when we say like in unhealth or stress or what, you know, it's like you're going to the worst qualities and it's not like, okay, fours are bad and sevens are good. And it's like no number is bad or good. You know, every number has its, its, uh, things. Everybody has their fears and their, you know, stresses and, and things like that. So, Um, so just to be clear, it's not saying that like my number is better or worse or whatever. Um, I love saying it's a spectrum because it really is. So that's ones in a nutshell, in a very succinct nutshell. There's a lot of information and I love reading about it because I can kind of see like how I used to be and how I am now and like where I might be in the future. And a lot of cool things about the Enneagram books is that they have information about like how you might have been as a child and how you might be as a parent or how you might be in a relationship, things like that. And they're kind of generalizations, but they're also, they can be very true. And I think if you believe in like other personality tests, like if you do the Myers-Briggs or there's a bunch of other ones too, but that's one that I like. Um, If you do that one, you can also do the Enneagram. They're not like you don't have to do one or the other. You can do all of it and kind of discover a lot of stuff about yourself. But I personally like the Enneagram because I think it dives pretty deep into personality. Definitely. I, that's one of my favorite things about the Enneagram is that it's so much more than just saying like, oh, this type is outgoing or whatever it may be. It goes into like your psychology and um, things that maybe influenced you as a child and it's just it's very um, complex as you may be gathering as you hear about it's kind of a lot to take in but um I just feel like it's very it takes sort of a holistic approach um rather than putting people into boxes it's very fluid yeah for sure so let's go into your type let's talk about sixes here So sixes are part of the thinking triad. Again, use your brain a lot more, more so than your gut or your heart. That's not to say that like if you're one type that you don't ever use your brain or gut or whatever, you know, it's like this is just your primary 
um, mode of, of, you know, seeing the world. I've been reading a lot about sixes and I always have, because again, I thought I was a six for a long time. So I know probably as much as I know about ones as I do about sixes, which is cool. Um, and I would say you're definitely a six, like you fall into that category as well, pretty clearly, which is cool. And some things that I found out about sixes, and then I'll let you talk about it. But I found out that sixes can really seem friendly, engaging, confident, um, but can also be cautious, anxious, fearful. Um, that's not to say that you are only, you know, one or the other, but like sixes tend to have this um, like outward persona, I think. And I'll see if you agree with this, but like an outward persona, but then sometimes they come back into themselves and they are not as confident as they may seem, but they tend to be like really personable you know, great people. And what do you think? Do you think that's pretty accurate? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. And obviously it depends on who you're talking to. Cause as we've mentioned, every number is just expressed differently in different people. And, um, same with sixes, there's different types within the six there's counterphobic and phobic sixes, which is way in depth. Um, but the different types kind of appear some may appear more outgoing, and but others may seem more shy and internal. It really just depends. Um, but I would say most of the sixes I know aren't necessarily, um, they, they are kind of what you described more of the, um, in, like, engaging and bright, uh, like, <laughs> expressive personalities. Yeah. No, yeah, I think so. And there, there's definitely a stereotype that like sixes tend to be like super anxious, but that's not always how they come off. Yeah. I think that's important to remember is that goes for every type. There's kind of this stereotype or caricature of the types where this one really pulls out like one part of a number and it's easy to like just characterize all, you know, ones as super perfectionist or whatever it may be. Um, but there, there's a lot more to each number than just their one stereotype. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So the passion, what's the passion of a six? I want to say it's fear, right? Yeah, yeah it's fear. <laughs> so I, I definitely see that in myself. I'm very, um, like, like we mentioned, it's a thinking um, triad. So I spend a lot of time going through scenarios, I go through a lot of what ifs, like what if is something that runs through my mind so many times a day. Um, it's just in my nature, even if I'm planning something small, like driving somewhere new, I go through like, do I know how to get there? Do I, where do I park? Do I have to pay? I just consider all those things just like autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do the same thing a lot of the time. That's why I thought I was a six for the longest yeah. time, but I think it's also a one thing to be prepared. Yeah. Like, plan. So there are overlapping features of all the types, which is cool. Um, so what are the different wings? We talked about the wings of a six, six wing five or six wing seven, right? Yes. Yes. And what I discovered about six wing five is that they tend to be, um, very calm and prepared and like use the problem solving skills, like to a, an extreme six wing seven would be more like carefree comedic, um, and extremely loyal, but I think sixes are generally very loyal. That's just like a, uh, trait. Agree. And it's interesting to me, six wing seven, because you have seven, such a carefree, like 
free-spirited, I, the way I picture it, type. And then sixes are pretty, like, calculated and um, anxious. And so it's kind of funny to see those two come together in a wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems, uh, like, a little strange that you could have both in the same person. But, I mean, it's just, like, maybe a little bit of that, like, a little bit of being carefree. But carefree and anxious don't really tend to go together super well. Yeah. So, yeah, it is is interesting. Um, and sixes integrate to a nine and disintegrate to a three. So do you think like on the integration or disintegration or what you said, like stress, do you find yourself, um, relating to like one or the other? Yeah, I would say when I'm really in a good spot, I do feel pretty carefree, which is what I associate with nines. Um, and just like relaxed, go with the flow. But then definitely I see my three come out um, and get kind of competitive, um, especially when I'm really stressed. So I definitely see that in myself. I can see those disintegration and integration happening. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a like intriguing thing to think about the way that different types can relate to each other. And if you look at like friends of people, like who they tend to be friends with. And I would love to do, I mean, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not again, an expert, but I would love to do like a study on like friend types and see like who tends to be friends with who, because I don't know. I mean, you hear like opposites attract for, you know, relationships or for friendships or whatever. Um, But in terms of like types, like what does that mean? And how well, like, I'm sure there have been studies. I don't know. Do you know of any? Not not off the top of my head, but I'm sure it exists. And I think it would be so interesting to learn about. And like on the opposite end of the spectrum, are there types that tend to not get along? Um, Yeah. All of the interrelations between all the types is very interesting to think about. Yeah, exactly. I, I've tried to type some of my friends before, Um, And I have a few friends who are also interested in the Enneagram and sometimes they'll send me on Instagram like little things because there are these fun Instagram accounts, which we'll name a couple of our favorites um, that like to come up with like fun little prompts and they'll say, okay, well, ones might feel this way or twos might feel this way. And they go through like each type. And I love these Instagram accounts because they're just usually pretty spot on. And then I can also type some of my friends based on these things too. Um, It's almost like taking a personality test um, by reading some of these because you are like, oh my gosh, like that, that's gotta be me. So true. Yeah. And sometimes like they'll have funny things like that, you know, like each type when they go to the beach and they just, you know, make what they be doing. But they also have cool things like self care for each type, um, which has been really helpful and they're fun to look at um, if anything. So yeah, I love those accounts. For sure. So what are um, a few of your favorite Instagram accounts? Yeah. So one of my favorites, it's um, Cathartic Word. Um, She makes these really beautiful little graphics. Um, I don't really know how to describe them. You just have to look them up. Um, She does these really fun, like, you know, fall items for each type. And it's like your favorite things with cozy sweaters and Polaroid pictures or whatever it is. Um, So those are really fun to look at. And then Enneagram and Coffee is another account that I really like and she kind of does what we were mentioning those um what different types are doing or saying in different situations um 
and they post a lot. They're really fun to look at. And like you said, you can look at them and sometimes I'll read one of the um, captions and I'll immediately have like a friend or family member come to mind. I'm like, that is so this person. So yes, yes. I love the Enneagram and coffee account. I'm looking at it now. Um, <laughs> so fun. Um, you can really waste a lot of time looking at these things on Instagram. So yeah, I do recommend and yeah, they're just it's super fun. So that is one thing about the Enneagram. Then uh, the books are also really important. And I am obsessed with the Millenniagram. I mentioned it back at the top of the podcast, but um, it's just a really fun book. She kind of goes through and she just has like a very funny voice in the book. It's very readable. It's not like a textbook. Some of these Enneagram books kind of read like textbooks. Yeah, because they're science-based and they're psychology-based. And so they can read a little heavy. But I think um, the Millenniagram is just a lot easier to digest. And and she just, like, is fun to read. So it's the Millenniagram. Um, the author is, again, all these people, I can't pronounce their names, but Hannah Posh, maybe? It's P-A-A-S-C-H. And at the end of the book, she also recommends um, different resources and books. And I am familiar with a few of these. There's um, some books written by this man, Don Richard Rizzo, maybe. And he wrote um, Personality Types Using the Enneagram for Self-Discovery. And I really like that one. Again, some of these are pretty heavy, kind of a lot to get through. I didn't read the book start to finish. I didn't read it cover to cover. I just kind of pulled up my little chapter on ones and read that. And then I read a few other chapters that were interesting. And like, I read about the history of the Enneagram because actually it's been around. Like, I mean, I said that in the 1970s, they like brought it to light, but really it's been around since like, I want to say like thousands and thousands of years and like people in like Christianity used it. And so it's not something that was just like, oh, we're going to pull it up now. And it was from the 1900s. Like, no, it's from a long, long time ago. And that also is very interesting to me because that means that like personalities have kind of been this way for a long time and that you, that they've been kind of set and that it's, um, you know, there's the whole debate about like nature versus nurture. And I think, I wrote a paper on that in my like English class in college because we had to read some books and then we had to pick um, like a basically a side and, and write if you believe that like nature was the reason for these characters being a certain way or if nurture was. And I thought it was such an interesting topic to dive into. And I think it relates to the Enneagram because um, personality types are, are set. I mean, you can, again be healthy, you can be unhealthy, but like when it comes down to it, like you are the way you are and you can be better or worse maybe based off of your nurture and based off of your life experiences. But I think um, nature plays a big part in it. And just knowing that the Enneagram stems from so long ago really just confirms that these personalities have, you know, been around, like this is not new we're just categorizing. We're just learning about ourselves. 
Absolutely. And it's interesting too, kind of along those lines, I like to think about my family's Enneagram types. Um, and I think that just goes along with the nature versus nurture. You might think like me and all my sisters will be the same type, but we're all so different, even though we had the same parents and very similar childhoods. Um, yeah, just it, it is very interesting and to see how it is played. Like you were saying, it's such an old, uh, practice and ideology, um, the Enneagram is and um, just how it's so true for even though there's only nine types, you really can fit every person in one of those nine types, um, which is just really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, tying this back to being in our 20s, I think it is so important because the 20s are such a formative time and like you can definitely change and grow in your 20s and like throughout your entire life. But I think it just is the spectrum, you know, where you fall on that spectrum at one point in time or another. And I think learning about other people and just being kinder about where people are coming from and like understanding that, you know, your friend is going to be very different from you. And that might be why you don't agree on certain things. That might be why, like as a one, again, I am a perfectionist and I want other people to be that way too. And so maybe if I live with somebody who's like the complete opposite and doesn't care about anything at all, that would be hard. I mean, that would be really, really hard for me to deal with because I want other people to be the same way as me. Now, I think I'm in a healthy level right now where I don't demand that other people are the same as me. And I've come to realize that other people are not going to be because they're not ones. And so that's just the way it's going to be. But if you can understand other people's types and like if they are like, for example, twos, threes and fours, they are in the heart triad. Right. And so a lot of times I have read that they can come off like divas or they can come off as drama queens like that is definitely a thing because they're ruled by their heart and so you know you could definitely misunderstand somebody if they're in a completely different triad and they're a whole different type and you don't you don't understand them but then if you discover okay they're a three or a four or whatever and then okay makes more sense i'll try to be understanding and you know learn what I need to do to get along with them. Yeah. I highly recommend learning the types of your, you know, your close friends, your family, your roommates, because it helps you understand the way they think, the way they see the world. And beyond that also ways you can be a better friend, sister, daughter, brother, whatever it is to them and, you know, love them in ways that they makes them feel heard and seen when you can understand where they're coming from. Um, It's pretty eye opening um, in relationships. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think um, looking back at different people that I've lived with or been friends with or had misunderstandings with even, like if I knew what their type was, it would be very interesting um, to see why they were a certain way. And it's also like you're not going to go up to somebody and be like, what's your Enneagram type? Like (laughs) it's not like we wear it on our sleeve. You know, it's not like you, you can really know. And it's only when you really know somebody But I think it's interesting. This is kind of off topic, but I think like some people are really into like horoscopes and some people are really into um, like that whole realm. And, you know, I think people could say similar things about about that. Like you can find out what someone's horoscope sign is and then discover a lot about them 
that might make sense. And I, I'm not like a huge hardcore believer in the horoscopes, but I will say birth charts are very interesting. So if you're interested in that, um, those can be pretty accurate. And if you read, you can see your like compatibility with other people from their birth charts. So that's interesting. I've never, I'm showing my ignorance. I've never heard of birth charts. You'll have to do an episode on that. That sounds interesting and it's not horoscopes, but it's Well, it is, it is like your horoscope, but it basically takes into account where you were born and what time you were born. interesting yeah so it's like it is your birthday it's like okay your you know sun sign and your moon sign and your ascendant and all of that and it takes into account every single planet and then how you might be because of that what we could honestly do a whole episode on that and i have some friends that are really into birth charts and they are the ones that showed me i didn't really know about it either until i was like until a few years ago really you know, I just think it's interesting to compare the two because, like, Enneagram is a personality test and horoscopes are, like, you know, the universe, I guess. And I don't really know if they tie together at all. I don't think so. But, like, I'm a Leo with my sign. Um, and I don't know. I've tried to think about how, like, being one and being a Leo, um, for me, it's like being a leader, like, Totally, because Leos are like in charge, very bossy kind of people and perfectionists that goes along with it. You know, you could be a leader. So it's like very, very intriguing to me to find out like if that has anything to do with your personality type and like what time you were born, you know. It's really interesting. And the way you can pull your horoscope and compare it with your Enneagram, you can do the same with your Myers-Briggs. Like, looking at those and how it, you know, compares with your Enneagram. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm a big nerd about um, researching these kinds of things, but I think I've discovered a lot when I've done that. And so I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, of the Enneagram. And I, again, I'm not like a huge believer in horoscopes, but I do think there is some truth to it. And when you look at your birth chart and you're reading it, sometimes it can be really freaky because it does go pretty in depth. Um, there's a website called Cafe Astrology and it that's where I do my birth chart from. And it's like really freaky how in depth it goes. So I do recommend if you've never done that, take a look at it. <laughs> yeah, but regardless, all these things, I feel like they just cover at the core, like self-awareness and self-reflection, which is huge at any point in your life, I feel like especially in your 20s, um, to have that awareness and be constantly, you know, improving and just seeing how this plays out in your life is, it's a good, a good practice. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So that's why I bring it up on the podcast. And again, if you're interested in some more resources, you can definitely reach out to me. Um, I plan on posting a few. I definitely want to post like the picture of the diagram for people that can see it because uh, it's a little hard to explain, obviously. But yeah, there's a lot of good online quizzes. Again, those may not be quite as accurate. So I do recommend the books, um, especially the ones where you can take a quiz from the book and then do some reading on it. Because if you're just going to do an online quiz, but then you don't, you're not able to like read about it, then you don't really know if that's your type or not. And you need a reliable source to really dig in because you can easily find tests on Google, but they're not all going to be the same level of accuracy. So 
be aware of that. But other than that, I mean, check it out. See what your personality type is. Type your friends. Type your family. It's very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I will see you all next week. (laughs) 